I had a blast talking with Courtney Newman's uh, real estate investor and influencer based out of Atlanta, Georgia. You know, Courtney bought his very first multifamily property about a year and a half ago in the dead middle of the pandemic. What a time, but it has worked out well for him. In this episode, Courtney shares with me the pains, successes, and downright tough lessons he learned while making the jump from a single family investor to a multifamily focused investor. We talked about completely adjusting your contingency planning when moving from SFR to multifamily. We talked about why the Atlanta market is on absolute fire with no signs of slowing down and why large unit multifamily ground up construction is just something that Courtney doesn't have a desire to get into anytime soon. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. Today, we're going to be talking about making the jump from single family investing to multifamily property investing. I'm joined by one of the most well known people in the real estate investment space, Courtney Newmans. He's a real estate investor, financier, social media star. Courtney, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me, Dalton. I really appreciate the time and uh, invitation to come on to the Real Estate of Things. For sure, for sure. Uh, Courtney, I have traveled all over the country with you. I've known you probably a little over six years at this point, and it is absurd how big your social network is. Every city, Atlanta, Miami, New York, Vegas, Beverly Hills, LA, the list goes on. You know everyone everywhere. The first question I have is, how can I be like Courtney? What's the secret? It's not a secret. I think when I first joined the industry and came into it, I have literally no clue about real estate. And I knew coming in with Lima One Capital. So if background for that, let's rewind to 2012. So I um, graduated University of Georgia in 2011. And I came out probably at one of the worst times because the job industry was not the best. And I had a marketing degree and an econ degree. So I had no clue of what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to get into real estate, but I didn't know my segue in. I thought, hey, I got a marketing degree. I get to go work for a Fortune 500 Coca-Cola. Things didn't pan out that way. So, so my first my first job out of college was doing merchant services for a company in Atlanta called Payscape Advisors. And I think that's how I really learned the value of selling and going door-to-door business, business sales. And that's probably how I got my chops and really learned the business and networking and really opportunity, really trying to feel that opportunity of really building your social network. And then my next job was business banking. I enjoyed that somewhat because I got to learn the finance side of finance side of the business, but it wasn't enjoyable to the point where it was a passion that, hey, I love getting up every morning to do it. And so my start with Lima One is I actually applied for a loan before I even <laughs> thought about working for the company. I had that plug in my mind. Hey, I cannot sit behind a desk and do a nine to five every day. It just wasn't for me. It just wasn't in my nature. I wanted to get out and be around people. That makes complete sense. And before I forget, you you went to UGA, you mentioned. You played football there, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if saying I played football, I was on the team, but I, I, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. So that's a that's a super interesting fact about you, man. So you fast forward, you get into the real estate space on the financing side. When did you do your first flip? So my first flip, I actually I started with Lima One in 2012, and then I did not take the jump to do my first flip until 2015. 
And I think the reason, like I, I applied for the loan back in 2012, but I just never took that leap because I kind of just seen what my clients were doing, learned from their mistakes, seeing what areas they were investing in and just pretty much took it all in. So when, by the time I was able to do my first flip, I didn't want to make any mistakes. Fast forward, even with my first flip, even knowing what I've known three years in the industry, I still make all the mistakes in the world. So I tell everybody, you just cannot just plan for plan for what you see on the flip. It's always going to be surprises when it comes to doing a flip. But I would rather learn from the, the world of hard knocks than just sitting back and thinking I can get it from a book. Yeah, it's something about, you know, the classroom setting, right? You're on the you're working with clients and the more academic setting where you're seeing the mistakes made, but it's not really directly impacting you uh, versus getting out there and it's your money on the line, it's your tail on the line, a completely different story and I'm I'm really interested as we've chat today to learn about how the stakes change whenever you move from single family to multifamily. So, you know, just recently, it's it's late 2021 now. You purchased your first multifamily property, right? Yep, my first my first multifamily property was purchased mid pandemic in May of 2020. So what happened was I wanted to flip. So I flipped between five to ten houses a year, and I always knew that hey, I wanted to get into passive income and wanted to be a legacy where I can get up to let's say 500 to a thousand doors. That's always been my my passion and where I wanted to get to. I knew I didn't want to flip. I never wanted to be the flipper that's flipping a hundred houses a year. I just seen the toll that it takes on people and the stress and the, I would say staff that you have to have to maintain that type of business. And I've always seen the sweet spot of doing flips is like somewhere between that 20 to 50 range where you can handle it and you maybe can have one or two people on your staff. But Hey, I work for Lima One. That is a full time job in itself. So I got my nine to five and then I got my side hustle. But I love both because they're intertwined from day to day. And so purchasing that property, I started looking at that property in December of 2019. So I knew I wanted to get into multifamily and I had no clue of <laughs> what I was doing, but I knew I had to take a leap of faith just like I did with a fist and flip. Yeah. So what take me back to whenever you have that decision point of, okay, I'm going to finally chew off my first multifamily project. Looking back, what what were the differences between all of the SFR deals you had done previously, all of the research before you get into a property? How's that different from the multifamily side of the fence? So I would have to give all credit due to two guys. One is Brian Cawthon that's in the office. He is our multifamily guru. And then the second is Chad Musgrove. He works for uh, Lumen out of Miami, Florida. So literally, we, me and Brian were charged of trying to develop our multifamily program, what was it, four years ago. And I had no clue of multifamily, no clue how to underwrite it, no clue how to look at it. And I think what you have to look at on the multifamily side versus single family side is the value component. It's really looking at, hey, how do I create value on the multifamily side versus single family side? Single family side is all the bells and whistles, hey, stainless steel appliances, all this, the lighting, the open concept, all of that to be able to create the value that you're going to homeowner. More so on the multifamily side is, hey, you really have to look at your bottom line because your income statements and everything there to reduce expenses. That's how you drive the value on that property on that side. And so for me, it's like I needed to look for a property where my strong suit was, hey, I have construction people. I want to really add value to that property by bringing in the construction, but also it has room to grow from 
increasing the rents and everything like that. So with the tutelage of Brian and Chad and really understanding how to underwrite a multifamily, I didn't take the plunge until I knew I had a surefire deal that, hey, <laughs> if everything goes wrong, as long as I add value to the construction, I can raise the rents and it's not so more so dependent on the financial with all of the property and just trying to reduce expenses on that side. Yeah, a big takeaway there on my mind is no matter how big you get in this space, you always have to surround yourself with people who, you know, maybe not even know more than you, but they know more than you in a specific subset, right? Because multifamily is so different from the SFR side of the fence. When, you know, you mentioned the product launch of multifamily a few years back, it was a completely different language to me, the multifamily side of the fence versus SFR. And I still admittedly have so much to learn there it's just a completely different beast so that the relationship side is like yeah it's like no one knew what an noi was like i literally had to sit down and say brian like explain to me how to calculate it was all foreign knowledge and this is coming from someone that went to uga and we went in finance class and we're in accounting class and but this is all foreign foreign language to me as well so buying your first multifamily, a huge piece is find somebody who's done it before and talk to them, right? Yeah, or surround yourself with very smart guys that know what the heck they're doing. <laughs> yeah, sage advice. So you mentioned mistakes earlier, right? Those happen all the time and so many unintended things. You can't anticipate every single thing in a transaction, getting into a property, that the magnitude of that just has to go up higher and higher the more units you have in a single project. So, you know, you've, you've had the property for a bit. What would you do differently or what would you, uh, you know, what mistakes do you look back and kind of kick yourself in the tail for or mistakes that you're like, hey, this, this, this was just going to happen. It was inevitable and we just have to put our shoulder down and forge ahead. Yeah, I think I put myself in the back against the wall because Four of my close buddies, they invested in the property with me. And so it's like, hey, it's not only my money at risk, it's their money at risk. And so I took every leverage point of what I learned in single family as reserves, looking at, hey, what's the worst case scenario with this property? Can we get out and sell it at a cost basis where we, we get all our money back? And so I think I learned that, hey, whatever's going to go wrong, something's always going to go wrong. And with this particular project, I purchased it for 1.45 and the renovation cost initially that I thought was going to be 250000 ended up being 375000 But I planned for that. I knew, hey, something is always going to go wrong, especially like you have it on the single family side. So I made sure I raised enough capital to be able to support that and support me taking that loan two years all the way throughout where we don't have to default. I don't have to go to the piggy bank and go into my retirement money or anything like that because I was just, I think, I think, and then the pandemic also made it where, hey, I got to be a little bit more conservative. So raise more capital. You're going to pay more money on the capital that you're going to raise, but I would rather be secure in that, that I have that money available and then we're not scrambling trying to find that money later on down the line. So I think that was one thing that I know, hey, going to a project, always raise more money than you need for that project. I would say probably 15% more than you need just to have it. Hey, you're going to pay for that cost of capital because it's equity, but it's better to do it then than, than trying to go back to your investors and raise it then. And then the second thing is thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly <laughs> question your property management company. I think what happened with the property management company, I didn't really know the ins and outs of the day-to-day -day of what they were supposed to be doing. And so 
really learning, hey, how what is the staff is doing? What are their daily operations? What what am I paying payroll for? And literally learning those things and understanding those things when it comes to property management, because it's the key. That's the key driver to to the, the multifamily business of raising the rents and doing it in a timely manner and doing it fast where you can turn over that money and get your money back to your your investors. That is all about speed and it's all about those increasing your NOI basis. So I think those are the things that I learned from really that first six months. It's like I had no clues. Like everything was hitting me at once. It's like, hey, I work from Lima one from five in the morning to six. And then at night from like six to 11, I'm looking at the multifamily project. I'm looking at the expense reports. I'm looking what I'm doing here and saying, hey, how can I get better? How can I make my operations better? How can I make the processes better where everyone is communicating effectively and they know what they need to do? The easy part for me coming from the fits and flip world was the construction management. That was the easy part. But learning the other components of the business, that is really where I had to cut my teeth. Interesting. A lot a lot in there. So the reserve piece, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's better to pad it a little bit just to be safe and conservative as opposed to putting yourself so tight and thin to where you're going to have to go back potentially to people to, or even in your own side to, to earmark more money that you just didn't expect. Better to have it and not have to use it than have to go try to raise more. So that's a really big piece. So interesting, the construction management side of it, construction's construction, you know, timber's timber, nails are nails. It's just the number of units. That's the only thing that's really different. But the the nitty gritty piece. So it's really like all in the paperwork side of it, right? And projections and the property management side. That That's a big one too in the multifamily space that I feel like it's a lot more cookie cutter on. Uh, now granted, you have, you, know, you have plenty of great property management and you have, you have the opposite that's true in the SFR side. But I just feel like on the multifamily side of the fence, property management, I guess, because it's always going to be in place. Like you're not going to self-manage 500 to 1,000 units whenever you, you get to your ball or your your field of dreams, Courtney, right? So so talk a little bit about the property management side and making the transition from SFR to multi. What's, what's different about it? What are you on the lookout for, especially forward flow as you're looking to go from 32 units to 1,000? So I think I never wanted to be the person to hold single family rentals. And I know this against philosophy because I, I literally finance <laughs> hundreds of them on a, on a yearly basis. But that, my philosophy has always been flip, 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 save that money and then put into multifamily. The reason is I see that multifamily you can scale and it's more so everything is one is in one spot. So this is my philosophy. I don't want to be able to, and it may sound bougie, it may sound <laughs> like off the wall, but it's like, I don't want to buy a $150,000 house to cash flow $300 a month on it. It's like, I got to put down $20,000, $25,000 and I got to cash flow $300 a month. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it never did. And it, I just cannot get with it. So that's why I said, hey, instead of me rushing, trying to get rentals on a single family space and, and do the bird method. Hey, I know what the bird method is. I put it on social media. Hey, it's for people who feel that they want to do the bird method and they get tax advantages for that. But it's just not for me. My motto is flip, 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 and then save that money and then pour it into a, a multifamily project. And so I finally got to the position where, hey, I had a substantial amount of money where I could go into a multifamily project. And it was just the time to do that. And the reason I wanted to have a multifamily project is like instead of me having 36 houses scattered all over Macon and Atlanta, 
I would rather have 36 units all in one spot. And hey, I have one property manager there. I have one maintenance man there and they can take care of all the needs. And so I feel like that is more for me, a scalable business and buying multifamily product or buildings versus me trying to go get five, 500 to a thousand rentals covered over four or five states. It's just, I just couldn't deal with that headache. And then the thing is, when you look at single family, it's like one AC unit can cause me <laughs> to, in one house can cause me to lose my whole year on single family. So when I look at something just as simple as that, I was like, for me, that's just not a good investment for me. Just for me. I don't preach and say it for anyone else. I have to keep saying that. But for me, it just it just didn't feel right to be a good investment on my side as on a rental. No, it makes complete sense. So geographically, you kind of mentioned, you know, SFR is scattered across five states or so. Just, just that scenario, if you have that many SFRs on the multifamily side, as you look ahead, you know, going from 32 units on up, what does that look like? Are you envisioning kind of all in the, and I, I don't even know if I asked, your your property, your multifamily property is somewhere in the Atlanta area. Where Where is it? It's in Macon, Georgia. So it's from my hometown. <laughs> so my first multifamily is in my hometown. So I love it. <laughs> That's really cool. So do you, you think, are you really just looking in Georgia? You think you're going to end up, whenever you hit your goal, all units are going to be in Georgia, or do you think you're going to be seeking opportunities outside, or just always keep an open mind? What's the strategy there? I think like multifamily is such a competitive market right now. Literally, and I just closed on a 72 unit in Macon probably about two months ago, and it's just so competitive. And I think I have to look at secondary markets outside of Atlanta because I think Dennis is Thurner from uh, Lafayette Communities. He said this. He said, who who has access to the cheapest capital will win all the time. And so right now, I don't have access to the cheapest capital out there. <laughs> I'm still paying double digit press. So anybody want to come invest with me, <laughs> please let me know. <laughs> I'm still paying that right now. I haven't got to the single digit press because I just don't have that experience and just not be able to scale up to get institutional capital to back me. But I think me... I have to have an open mind to buying in other markets. And the thing is, with with multifamily, it's a rinse and repeat product. Literally, I have my flooring that I use. I have the same faucets, the same lighting, and I can rinse and repeat the same paint color. And I may change the exterior color of the buildings to give it a more modern look. But it's literally rinse and repeat for every product that you put in and just knowing what market you have to go in. And in some in some cases, it's just really going in and painting and then you can raise the rents internally just over time. And some you're going to need a heavy lift. But it's it is so much easier than a single family flip. Like it's 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 not as much brain damage. And so, but going back to your question, sorry, going off on a tangent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> going back to your question, I think I have to have an open mind. And I think where I'm gonna be able to have my my success is like I'm in Atlanta. I can find anything that I could afford and that the money I could raise to be able to go that go that route because I'm competing with all the funds, all the all the institutional capital because they want all the product in making. So for me, I have to go to secondary and third third uh, third markets where, hey, it's going to take a heavier lift. But that's my expertise because I'm coming from the single family world to the to the multifamily world. I don't I'm not afraid of the construction component. 
for those guys that have the, the, the assets to the cheaper capital, they're just going in and, like we said earlier, pretty pretty much looking at the performer and looking at your NOIs and your, your income statements and saying, hey, what can I do on that side with my cheap capital to raise the rents and then raise raise the performer where it looks better in the long term and get those yields that they're looking for. So I think that is the difference for me where I'd rather do a heavier lift project. And those usually heavier lift projects are on the outskirts or in the secondary to tertiary markets. Yeah. And and do you see kind of across the board a little less competition there because people are a little more put off by the thought of having to go in and do, you know, even if it's not extensive work, but doing work across the majority of the units, do you think that's a pretty big, call it scare off for most people? I think it's a scare off for people that are not like, I think you're, you're big institutional fund guys. I think that's a scare off for them because they don't want to have the operations to be able to go somewhere like that and do it. So it's like, can you get the staff to be able to do that in Atlanta? Yes. But could you get the staff to do that in somewhere like Macon, Georgia or, or Tifton, Tifton, Georgia? It's kind of, it's kind of going to be hard to do that. So I think, yes, it's less competition, but it's still heavy competition because the asset class of multifamily has really it, it's proven out to be one of the best, safest asset classes even coming throughout the, the pandemic. So people are chasing that yield and really want to put their money into that into that product. So even though I'm going outside of the norm and looking in different states and looking in those secondary markets, it's still a lot of competition out there. Is that competition going to slow down or do you think it's it's really just kind of reared its head for the first time and it's going to keep on getting more and more competitive? I see it's going to get more and more competitive because I think as we have inflation going on and the home prices, is no inventory for home prices. So people have to have a place to live. And so if you don't have the inventory on the SFR side for rents, then if you see your rents are growing on the on the multifamily side, I think people are going to keep putting their money into, into those assets and, and it's going to continue to grow. So I think it's a catch-22 because SFR is probably affecting the world of multifamily almost. Yeah, that makes sense. You've you've done some new construction. Do you envision that being part of your multifamily strategy? Do you think you're going to get into double-digit multifamily builds? That is very scary. It's something that I thought of and something that I want to do. It's just that is just a whole different world and I have no clue of how to underwrite it, what to look at, what's my cost of build. So if I look at a project, it's going to have to be something very very small scale, I would think somewhere between 10 